Uh, we're going to start a, uh, a new series today. It's a series related to the one I did on the events of the last time in the coming kingdom. In that one, I gave the sequence and the impact of the events that were described by the prophets and Jesus and the apostles. But it's going to be different in that I'm not going to focus on the end times. Uh, I'm going to focus on what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 26 to 31, uh, the present distress. He was talking about how they needed to live under the present distress. He makes two points at that point, that the time is short towards the world's passing away, an eternity versus a temporal perspective. And then he says that they are facing what's translated present distress, a present tightness or a pressing, um, which is translated as distress in the NASB. Other translations use a different word. I was thinking about making that the text to start from, but I thought I'd just mention it because I really want us to look at two other texts and then go from there for the introduction to this series. The first one is Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Now, you're familiar with Matthew 16, even if you don't know the address, because this is a... Uh, text that has an enormous amount of information uh, regarding the feeding of the multitudes, Peter confessing Christ, Jesus telling his death, and the issue of um, uh, discipleship. So it's a very significant chapter right before the transfiguration in the Gospel of Matthew, which is chapter 17. I just want to look at the first three verses, one through three says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. You do not know how to, you, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times. He goes on to talk about the sign that will be given to that generation. I don't want to address that now. I want to talk about this generation. So this chapter has the Pharisees who, like conservative Christians, believed in resurrection and the kingdom to come, and the Sadducees, like liberal Christians, who didn't believe in an afterlife and believed that this was the world that was present and this was the one that mattered, and you had to take care of things in this framework. He ends up rebuking both of them, and he does that by an interesting manner. He tells them that they can tell the same event, a red sky, but they can tell whether a storm is coming or not coming on the basis of whether it's in the evening or the morning. In other words, they have a sense that they can see the events that are going on around them and predict what is going to happen. Now, that's immediate happening. It's not long-term. We now have weather people who look at things and project out 10, 10 days, and they're not even right all the time on that. But at this time, when this is written, you knew a storm was coming because you saw the storm. Okay? 
The second passage I want you to look at is Luke chapter 12. Verses 54 to 56. There's quite a different um, context uh, that Jesus makes this statement, but it's a similar statement. In verses 54, he's, he's saying to the crowds, so this is the general people that are following him, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will, be hot, it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you do, know, do not know how to analyze the present time. Now, in this different context, Jesus is uh, about to say, and has been saying to them, and we'll talk about this later, that I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. We'll talk about the impact of that in a minute. But he's saying, I'm bringing division. And he says, you know when you see the clouds that it's going to rain, and you know when that south wind is coming up from the desert that it's going to be hot. You can, you can recognize these temporal things, but you don't understand the present season or occasions or events that are going on. So in this series, what we're going to do is look not at the weather or even climate change, though I may talk about that, but at the present time, the situation that you and I find ourselves in and what's called uh, by social science scientists the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times that is happening. Because the culture that we live in and I'll be talking predominantly about America, but this has impact worldwide, um, is beginning to have some changes that are going to be stormy. And the storm of culture change that is already uh, at hand is going to be a major threat to us as believers and to our children. In one sense, your children already are living in a world that you never knew. And in my case, wasn't even imaginable uh, in, in the two to three generations that I've, lived, that I've lived in. So I think that this is going to be important. And I think our conversations at the end, our Q&A, which may not be that big this week, but starting next week, I'm going to shorten what I say so that we have more time for that, um, is, is important. So I want to give a warning. The warning about the series is that it's not about politics, though this battle unfolds in the present American political culture. So I'm going to have to talk about issues, not parties or persons. Uh, and I'm going to address, I'm not going to address Christian nationalism and diaspora, because you already know I come from a diaspora perspective. I'm not going to give you conclusions like get your kids out of public school or put them in. Uh, when I'm doing the sermon part of this. And the reason for that is I want to save the specifics for the Q&A. Because this sermon gets put out on the internet, I want to be careful. I don't want to be stepping on landmines. You know how um, easily people are offended and then miss everything that's being said. So we'll talk more frankly in the Q&A 
than I will in the sermon. Now, I asked you to read The Gathering Storm by Al Mohler. I hope you're doing that. I'm not in full agreement with Al on these things, but in his book, he's given details and data that will help uh, reinforce and underscore that these things are actually taking place uh, in that context. The book is actually supplemental with history and data to what I'm going to just talk about uh, more briefly. Now, unrelated to that book, I'm pretty sure you've all seen The Wizard of Oz. The movie? Right. Now, as the storm appears in that movie and the weather gets worse, people seek the protection of their home basement, called a storm basement. And Dorothy gets caught up in the storm, even though she's in her own home. But the house is of no protection. I want to make a parallel. The homes that we've been developing has been developing a spiritual depth, a spiritual basement, if you will, that has given us a place to retreat to. I don't mean physically retreat to. I mean to stand on the Word of God and to know the Word of God, the catechism of our children, the raising of them in the faith, in the home, in practical living, is part of that storm basement. There are a lot of Christians that don't have that. And their house may not stand in the context of this storm. And so I want you to be aware of that because the present times are shifting. We've had a 20-year head start at the Disciple Center to get ready for this storm. Many, many have not. And they will find that their faith is less helpful to them because their faith is kind of based on if you just trust Jesus, everything will work out. And we know that that's not necessarily the case. Now, many people have been sounding the alarm, uh, but that's been largely ignored. The other thing that has bothered me is that there are many people who have sounded the alarm uh, of the present distress, claiming that this is preemptive to the Lord coming. You probably have heard some of those people, including prophets who prophesied that Trump would remain as president. And some of them are still holding to that, that the Lord told him. So I don't want you, when I talk about these things, to think, oh, it's the end of time. It's not. We're not in the end of time. We're closer, but we're not there. Okay? But there are rumblings and approximations of some of those end-time events that we will experience that I think will strengthen us. And that's based on James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. I'd like you to turn to there if you can. James chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. I want you to notice that this letter is actually written to uh, the diaspora Jews. Okay? Now, by extension, it can also speak to the Gentile believers that were among them and to us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He goes on to talk about wisdom that God will give us as well. It's really important for us to understand that many times the difficulties that we go through are meant to do two things. They are an indicator that we are genuinely children of God. A lot of people think just the opposite. You must have sin in your life. You must, God must hate you if things are going bad for you. That's not true. If you try to live righteous in this world, you will suffer tribulation. Okay? The second thing that's important is that these things are a little bit like going to the gym. I don't like going to the gym. I like leaving the gym a lot better than I like going to the gym when I went. Uh, when I would do jujitsu, I uh, sometimes thought I don't want to do this when I was on the way, but I was always glad afterwards. Over time, the exercising and the struggling and the wrestling and all of that kind of stuff strengthens you and gives you endurance. For what? For the next battle that may be longer. The next battle that may be longer. And the next battle that may be longer. In other words, it's building us up to resist temptation of assimilation or fear of persecution. Thank God he doesn't just keep us in a cocoon and doesn't throw us into the end times. All through history, Israel and the church have gone through periods of prosperity and periods of difficulty. And those things are part of our building up to endurance. And James says, you want to count that as joyful. It, it's an indication that you are like those who have been persecuted before, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes. But it also will build endurance and that's important. You need that endurance so that when things get rough and you begin to think, I think we've been abandoned, you know that you haven't been abandoned and you continue to fade on in that sense. Now, Jesus talks about this storm kind of issue in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, Beginning verse 24, he says this, and you know this passage, you could probably quote it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. Notice he's not talking about the people who don't know his words. He's talking about the people who hear them. You either are a doer of the word or you're just a hearer of the word. And the hearers of the word, he says, are like those who are foolish and built their house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house 
and and it fell, and great was its fall. So Jesus likens this endurance that we need as the result of hearing his words, acting on them against tribulations and struggles and temptations and opportunities to wait till tomorrow to do it, all of those things that happen. And he says that when the storm comes, the house that will stand is built on the rock. It has that spiritual basement that is able to be firm, that endures. But the ones who don't have that, they just have the words. They just have the verses. They won't be able to stand. Now, you know what happens when a storm hits. And if you've seen the terrible pictures from Haiti uh, and some of the other storms that happen from time to time, it will take objects and scatter them. Chairs flying, tables going, uh, and it's projected by that wind. And then there's the rain or snow or hail or some kind of flooding agent that creates mud that floods down and it does damage. And together, they challenge the stability of the house and the household. So we need to know what the storm is that we're facing. So I'm going to do that briefly, just an introduction. I will put these up on our, um, um, I'll put them in the newsletter and on the uh, Facebook page so that you don't have to write them all down now. But we're really up against uh, wind, rain, and those and floods uh, that are coming in the form of secularism. The idea that God does not exist or is not present in some aspects of the world. I've talked about that before, but I want you to see where radical secularism is going to challenge us. There is a relativism out there that says that there really is no truth, and that all knowledge is based on experiential narrative and perspective. This is part of what you've heard related to the CRT and the critical theory stuff, this idea that narratives, what people experience, what people think, is more significant than any objective reality or truth. And, and we're going to be up against that. We're up against a humanism, which is a belief that mankind can solve our own problems. Because we're not the source of the problem, we're the solution. Now that's not a biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is that sin is the problem and we're carriers of it. We have that problem and we have that dealt with through the gospel and through the Lord and through faith. We're up against elitism. That's the idea that there are certain people who because of their gifting or their ability or their status, they actually know what is best and they should be in charge. And we find these elites in government, in business, in economics, in medicine, in education, in media, in religion, in entertainment, and in sports. And it's very easy for them to stampede people in a direction That is not wise, it is worldly. And related to that is this idea of utopianism. That's the idea that we can actually solve the world's problems. We can end poverty. 
We can end racism. We can end crime. And the way we do that is a more central, controlled, and a humanistic way of doing this. This is permeating our institutions, and we're going to have to talk about those. Now the question is, where is that storm going to hit? Yesterday I was watching the news as they were uh, arguing over whether the storm was named Henry or Henri. And then where it was going to hit and where it wasn't going to hit. The storm is going to strike certain targets. So let me tell you what those targets are. We're going to talk about those as well. And that's where Al Mohler's book does some good work for you. One is in the area of life. The issue of birth control, the issue of abortion, the issue of euthanasia, the issue of quality of life versus uh, assisted suicides, those kinds of things are going to be shifting rapidly from what they have been in this culture. Another area is in the area of gender, sexuality, marriage, procreation, and parenting. Uh, This has already permeated the the church. have been several articles about um, young Christian women who have no interest in being mothers. There are generational differences and racial differences and population demographic issues that we have to think about and see what's going on. And then unique to America is the issue of liberty versus security. Issues of social justice, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. You know that we are almost in a civil war over masks. It's almost impossible to have a sane conversation about these things because people are emotionally vested in what they're doing is right. Therefore, what you're doing is wrong. And there's almost no tolerance. And we're going to have to address those those issues. So, before I give you my last verse... How do I want you to engage this series? Because I talked about this before and then we couldn't do it. Uh, I want to have more discussions. I want the discussions off the record because I want people to be able to talk and, and be free in what they say and not feel like it's going to be used against them or gotten out of context. You need to be familiar with the storm contents and targets, those things that I just talked about. So I will list those for you, and if you're already familiar with what's going on there, great. If not, you need to begin to educate yourself. Secondly, you need to really search for biblical content that addresses those issues. What does the Bible say about Humans being created in the image of God and being of one blood versus this crazy idea that there is a such a thing as race in an objective sense. We need to do comparison and contrasting the scripture with the cultural trends. And one of the dangers there is people want to be cool and so they start using terms that they, that they have their own definition for. Uh, I'm watching that battle right now on the campus 
uh, between equality and equity. Those are very different concepts. But there are some people who are using the words interchangeably, thinking, why, are, why is there a big battle going on? And it's because they don't know that the people who are using those words mean very different things in that context. You need to help your children understand this and navigate this because they're going to be on the front lines. The battle is for the children. My age generation is passing off the scene and the cultural warriors are less concerned about us except when we vote. But they're very concerned with the younger generation. Every movement has gone after the children. And most parents outsource parenting to the schools, to the churches, to the sports organizations. And those organizations are already very much part of this storm. And then, my last verse, I want you to be prepared that in some cases... You're going to lose friends, family, and social standing. I don't think Christians have ever faced that in America. But that's one of the implications that's going to happen. I want you to go back to Luke 12, where we started with our second one. And this time we're going to pick it up at verse 49. And then I'll be done. Luke twelve forty nine. These are not commonly sermon texts. You know, there are texts that always end up in sermons and there are some texts that, that aren't in there. These are the ones that aren't usually there. I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. That doesn't sound good. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Jesus said, I wish we were closer to the end when I'm going to bring the final judgment to this earth. But I have to go through my passion first. Do not suppose that I came to grant peace on earth. I tell you no, but rather division. And from now on, Five members of one household will be divided three against two and two against three. And they will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And then he tells the story of them discerning the times. That's the context for what we began with. We're going to see division come to this culture and it has already divided the institutions. It's a, that storm is about to hit our households and it will divide our households. Now I know some people who have lost their children from the gospel and from the faith And it is killing them. 
and we've done the best we can to not have that happen among us, but it's unlikely there won't be some in that context. And we have to be prepared to that because a parent's heart often decides to compromise rather than lose a child or lose a spouse or lose a parent. And I don't mean lose them in death. I mean lose them in fellowship. Messianic Jews are very familiar with this because many of them, when they came to faith in Jesus, were... uh, removed from their family. In some cases, their families actually held a funeral for them. But that storm is knocking on our door. Now, I think we're better prepared than others, but I want to make sure that we see this as a testing of our faith. I don't want this to be a faith crisis. I want it to be a faith challenge that strengthens us and gives us endurance. This, too, is part of the gospel, and we have to understand that. We may mourn the losses, but we, are, we need to understand that they will happen. So, with Joshua and the Old Testament reading in the Western churches for this week, we need to be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's going to put pressure on the heads of houses to make sure that that home stays true to the gospel, even when there are times when our children or grandchildren don't get it because they want to go with their friends. There's an enormous peer pressure on children. And we can't isolate them forever. We're going to have to find a way, if I can use the term, to immunize them from that storm so that they will be able to resist it. Let's pray. Father, we...